welcome to the Best of the Left podcast, with clips today from Countdown, Rachel Maddow, The Young Turks, Tom Hartman, and On the Media. December when the New York Times first revealed the existence of the government's secret warrantless surveillance program. Nearly anybody who'd actually read the Constitution at some point believed it would be only a matter of time until a court of law ruled such spying to be patently illegal. Our fourth story in the countdown tonight, the matter of time took just 35 weeks. The Bush administration's first attempt to politicize today's judicial smackdown taking mere minutes. Federal Judge Anna Diggs-Taylor ruling in Detroit today, becoming the first to strike down the National Security Agency's program, ordering it stopped at once, although how fast that is is yet to be determined, calling it an unconstitutional violation of privacy and free speech rights. Quoting Judge Taylor in her 43-page opinion, Plaintiffs have prevailed and the public interest is clear in this matter. It is the upholding of our Constitution. Within the hour, though, unnamed senior White House officials pointing out to NBC News that the ruling comes just one week after the purported London bomb plot in which they claim telephone surveillance was used to gather intelligence. By name, the press secretary, Mr. Snow, also evoking the British arrests in a written statement, quote, last week, America and the world received a stark reminder that terrorists are still plotting to attack our country and kill innocent people. We could not disagree more with this ruling. The Justice Department, meanwhile, indicating it will do all it can to fight the ruling. Today, a district court judge in Michigan ruled that the program was unlawful. We disagree with the decision, respectfully disagree with the decision of the judge, and we have appealed the decision. And we, there is a stay in place, and so we will continue to utilize the program to ensure that America is safer. Joining me now to assess the impact of the ruling today, constitutional law expert Jonathan Turley, law professor at George Washington University. Good evening, Jonathan. Thanks. Hi, Keith. Domestic spying by the Bush administration has many fangs. Is this specific to the wiretapping of the international calls and emails, or is it broader than that? Well, it's broader in, in a couple of ways. One is that the court here is rejecting the authority that the White House has used, not just for the NSA surveillance, but a number of other programs. It's also broader in its implications. As you noted, most of us thought the question of the unlawfulness of the program was the easy one. I mean, we, we, despite what Gonzalez says, that the authority is clear, no one else seems to be able to see it. Uh, the real tough question is what we would do about it. If a court of appeals upholds this judge, it means that the president could well have committed a federal crime, not once but 30 times. And so that's the difficult implication. The, uh, the response to this from the White House, there's nothing, of course, like claiming you have secret proof that you stopped all sorts of <laughs> bad things by rewriting the Constitution, but the conservatives are already making hay out of the fact that Judge Taylor here was, a, was an appointee of President Carter. Where does the case go next legally and, and in following it? Do we have to follow the personal politics of the judges, or are there any judges who are just judges anymore? Well, that's what's really distasteful. You know, this is not the first judge to rule against the administration, but every time a judge rules against the administration, uh, they're either too democratic or they're too tall or too short or they're Pisces. I mean, it, you can, it, all this spin, this effort to personalize it, is really doing a great injustice to our system. If you look at this opinion, it's a very thoughtful opinion. The problem is not the judge. The problem is a lack of authority. You know, when, when, when Gonzalez says, I've got 
something back in my safe, and if you could see it, you'd all agree with me. Well, unless there's a federal statute in his safe, then it's not going to make a difference. The administration tried forever to get this suit dismissed on the, uh, the, the ruse of state secrets. Uh, but, but, Jonathan, do we, do we really think the country w would dissolve into a bowl of jello if the courts threw out the administration's national security rationale for, for wiretapping? Uh, have we ever noticed this in the past when previous administrations have cited uh, national security of the most urgent import? Uh, do you recall the, the country ever going out of business or the safety of the citizens ever just uh, vanishing? Well, you know, there is this uh, appearance of let's keep fear alive, you know, and, and, you know, how we read the Constitution will depend upon how close we are to the London arrests. That's really immaterial. I mean, in a country like ours, it is as important, if not more important, how we do things as it is what we do. And we can't uphold the system of law, the rule of law, if we violate it. And, you know, here, I think one of the most important things that this judge did was to say, look, I'm looking at whether you have authority to do this. And I can do that without looking at all of these secret documents you're referring to. You need to show me a statute. You need to show me part of the Constitution. And I think she was absolutely correct in that. And the Constitution, not just a, say, Earl Inspector-sponsored law that would permit this according to the Congress, correct? Well, if Specter goes forward with that absurd bill that he wrote with Dick Cheney, I, I would be surprised. I mean, if they actually move this into a secret court after a judge found the president was acting unlawfully, it will be the whitewash of the century. That hasn't been a long century yet, so we'll see. <laughs> Jonathan Turley of George Washington University, as always, sir, great thanks for your time. Thanks. I'm on It's hard to lift your shoulders When the shoulder you need is gone When you uptown left me That was when I fell Hope you'll forgive me But when I hear you're doing well Those are some of the stories we're keeping an eye on this morning. Now, though, it's time to wade into the old mainstream to see what gold is worth panning for among today's top stories. Eureka! The first story on today's Rachel Maddow show front page is the big deal ruling yesterday on the NSA spying case, wiretapping Americans without a court order. Uh, there are a bunch of lawsuits that have been filed against the NSA spying thing, uh, and the government's defense has been basically... They've said that in September 2001, when Congress authorized Bush to use force to respond to the 9-11 attacks, that that authorization actually cleared him to do whatever he wants, as long as he claims it's necessary because of threats to the country. Specifically for those lawsuits, the White House has argued that not only can the president do whatever he wants, but they have specifically argued that the White House can't explain why the president's actions are legal. It can't even respond to people who say he might be acting illegally. It can't even respond to that. It can't even explain himself because to even talk about what he's doing would violate state secrets. 
Well, yesterday in Detroit, uh, a federal judge named Anna Diggs-Taylor basically told the government uh, to shove it. <laughs> Here's Martha, Ravitz, uh, Martha Raddatz for ABC News. The wiretap ruling came with stinging criticism from U.S. District Court Judge Ann Diggs-Taylor. It was never the intent of the framers to give the president such unfettered control, said the judge, particularly where his actions blatantly disregard the parameters clearly enumerated in the Bill of Rights. Martha Raddatz enunciating that very well. Uh, the, the judge continued in her ruling to say, quote, there are no hereditary kings in America and no powers not created by the Constitution. So all inherent powers must derive from that Constitution. Uh, here's James Bamford, the, uh, the author, James Bamford, who's one of the plaintiffs in this case. What it says is the president of the United States isn't uh, a king. He's just like every other citizen when it comes to a law. The ruling essentially says that the warrantless wiretapping program violates FISA, which is the law about wiretapping, right? Uh, violates the First Amendment, violates the Fourth Amendment, and it says that the program has to be halted. The Justice Department has appealed the ruling, and that means that it's going to go to uh, the, the next level up in the U.S. court system. The Supreme Court is at the top, the circuit courts are below them, and the district courts are below the circuit courts. This ruling was a district court ruling, so it gets kicked up to the circuit court. The Sixth Circuit is the one that I'll hear it, and that is a conservative court. So I uh, will watch to see uh, what happens with the appeals to but this is a pretty devastating ruling against the government. Of course, uh, the right wing has already started attacking the judge herself as if they are a pack of starved wild dogs. Uh, the National Republican Party response to the ruling yesterday, they put out a press release and this was the headline, quote, liberal judge backs Dem agenda to weaken national security. Nice. Uh, one other thing about this NSA ruling. When you hear on the Sunday shows this weekend that the liberal judges and the Democrats want to take away the tools that we're using to break up terror plots, like the plan to blow up those planes from England. When you hear that, inevitably, you'll hear it today. You'll definitely hear it on the Sunday political shows this weekend. When you hear that, remember that there has been no evidence offered, not even shaky, dodgy, made up White House evidence. There has been no evidence offered. That says that the U.S., let alone this specific, worthless, unconstitutional, ineffective power grab program, that, that we as a country, let alone the NSA spying program, have had anything to do. There's no evidence that says that we had anything to do with breaking up that plot, the British blowing up the planes plot. A, it was the Brits. B, it had nothing to do with the NSA spying program. This is the big elephant in the living room with the NSA spying program. Its ineffectiveness is totally clear to anybody who knows anything about the technology that they're using. They're asking us to make a huge trade-off in our constitutional liberties in exchange for no gain in our security because this program is totally ineffective. It's a power grab, pure and simple. You will be lied to it about this weekend. I promise you that. If you haven't been already, you will be lied to about this this weekend.
is always a treasure, just a national treasure. If you're watching on the youngturks.com, God bless your heart, first of all. Second of all, uh, check out our members only, which, which was actually quite excellent last night. Uh, very fun. Third of all, you're going to see his facial mannerisms, which are always precious. God, what an embarrassment. All right. Second of all, uh, you're, of course, on the radio, you're going to hear it afterwards. We're going to talk about my favorite part of this, which comes about halfway through. Uh, and he's talking about, of course, the court's decision yesterday, the big court decision to say the his NSA warrantless wire programming is illegal and unconstitutional. Anna Diggs Taylor, <laughs> who may or may not be the Turk of the Week, if you check us out at politicstv.com. Oh, yeah, politicstv.com checks out the Turks and Jerks of the Week. Anna Diggs Taylor, American hero, was a judge that uh, gave that decision. Here's President Bush's response. Mr. President, the federal ruling yesterday uh, that declared your terror surveillance program unconstitutional, uh, the judge wrote that it was never the intent of the framers to give the president such unfettered control. How do you respond, sir, to opponents who say that this ruling is really the first nail in the coffin of your administration's legal strategy in the war on terror? Hmm. Uh, I would say that those who... Um um, herald this decision simply do not understand the nature of the world in which we live. You might remember uh, last week working with the great with people in Great Britain, we disrupted a plot. People trying to come and kill, uh, uh. kill people. The um, this country of ours is at war, and we must give those who are. Uh, whose responsibility is to protect the United States, the tools necessary to protect this country in a time of war. The judge's decision was a... I strongly disagree with that decision. Strongly disagree. Uh, that's why I instructed the Justice Department to appeal immediately. And I believe uh, our appeals will be upheld. We... Uh, I made my position clear about this war on terror. I, uh, and by the way, the enemy made their position clear yet again when they when when um, when we were able to stop them. <laughs> and uh, I, I, the American people expect us to protect them, and therefore I put this program in place. We believe strongly believe it's constitutional. And if Al Qaeda is calling into the United States, we want to know why they're calling. And so I made my position clear. It would be interesting to see what other policymakers, how other policymakers react. Uh, listen, thank you all very much. I have three words for you. Pathetic. I love other, other policymakers disturbs me because it reminds you that he actually makes policy. Yeah. Yeah. Because, but much of us policy wonks, we're going to sit down and sit and talk. He was doing so well with his, like, stern face. I mean, like, there was a lot of power behind that face. That can we play the, can we And can, then he lost it. we got to play the part. When he was talking game. about how um, the terrorists, the Al-Qaeda, they made their point when... Uh, when we stopped him. See, yeah, I heard. Why did you have to finish it for me? <laughs> I was going there. When I uh, when I uh, when I uh, uh, was watching it earlier today, I didn't. I was. I wasn't really paying attention. So it was just I heard it. You know, it was on computer, and you didn't like. I, I didn't even notice 
the great sort of wall he hit in the middle when he couldn't come up with the word. What was the word? What was the word he came up? We couldn't come up with. Stop. Attack. He was saying when the, when Al Qaeda made their point when they when they when they when we stopped them. Yeah, when they attacked us again or tried to. That yeah, was great stuff. It's really vintage. When the president talks to God, are the conversations brief or long? Does he ask to rape our women's rights and send poor farm kids off to die? Does God suggest an oil hike when the president talks to God? When the president talks to God, are the consonants all hard or soft? Is he resolute all down the line? Is every issue black or white? Does what God say ever change his mind when the president talks to God? When the president talks to God, does he fake that drawl or merely nod? Agree which convicts should be killed, where prisons should be built and filled? Which voter fraud must be concealed when the president talks to God? Bernie, welcome to the program. Good to be with you, Tom. Great to have you here. The uh, U.S. District Judge Anna Diggs-Taylor yesterday says there are no hereditary kings in America and no powers not created by the Constitution. Well, is that what she said? That's what she said in her well, in her judgment. Well, I think the importance of that decision is not only that it deals with the specifics of uh, the phone uh, tapping, but it goes beyond that, and, and she touches on it in that phrase, and that is that we have a president who I think honestly believes that he is above the law, that he can decide what's right and wrong, what's good and bad, and the Constitution of the United States doesn't matter all that much. The laws of the land don't matter all that much, and he can do whatever he wants whenever he wants, and that he is an imperial president. You know, he's not the... Here's, here's Richard Nixon. Uh, oh, when the president does it, that means that it is not illegal. <laughs> so he's not the first guy to think that. Yeah, I, that's right. I mean, it, it's, it's really quite unbelievable. Uh, and yet the backbone of what American democracy is about is that we are a nation of law, which means that all of us, from the president on down, is supposed to obey the law. And that's something that the president and his members of his administration have clearly forgotten. So I applaud the judge very much uh, for that ruling. And as you well know, Tom, uh, there are many, many instances, this just NSA phone tapping being one, where this president is acting very clearly in, in violation of the law. And probably the most openly outrageous is his signing agreements when he signs legislation. And he says, oh, by the way, I will sign this legislation, uh, but in fact I don't intend to enforce all of the provisions in it because I disagree. And instead of vetoing the legislation and going through the political process that we have in Congress, he says, oh, I'll sign it. It doesn't matter really much because I disagree with this or that section of it, and I'm not going to enforce it. And I think that that is not only frightening for today, but that is a horrendous precedent for what happens to the future of our country, no matter who is the president. And what we have to be very, very clear about is that the president of the United States, members of Congress, the people, obey law. We don't like the law, you change the law. You don't ignore the law when you want. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 really quite mind-boggling. It is. And and uh, these guys just never ever stop it. You know, hopefully uh they will be stopped. 
in um, less than three months in the very important elections that are coming up. And I just hope that all of the listeners understand the significance of these elections. Because if, and I speak as an independent who is now working you know, with Democrats to defeat the right-wing Bush agenda, if the Democrats gain control over the House, if the Democrats gain control over the Senate, and hopefully if they gain control over both bodies, the Bush right-wing agenda is finished. It's gone. And for the first time since Bush will have been president, there will be serious hearings and investigations on the misdeeds and the very, very poor performance of the Bush administration in so many areas. Now, I know I do meetings all over the state of Vermont, but I'm sure it's all it's true all over America. People have very serious questions about how we got into Iraq in the first place. What did the president know? Is he telling us the truth when he says, hey, don't blame me for going into war in Iraq because the intelligence agencies, they told me that Iraq had weapons of destruction, weapons of mass destruction. They told me that uh, al-Qaeda was linked to uh, Iraq. Uh, they told me that uh, Iraq was getting uh, depleted uranium from Niger and so forth and so on. Is the president, in fact, telling us the truth? Well, you know what? There are a lot of people who think that may not be the case. And there are a lot of people, including myself, who think that we need some serious investigations and that we need some of the people from the Bush administration to be testifying under oath about what they knew and when they knew it. Because many of us believe that it's just not fair to blame the intelligence agencies because, in fact, a lot of intelligence was coming into the White House which said, Mr. President, we're not sure about weapons of mass destruction. We don't believe that there was a link between al-Qaeda and Saddam Hussein, as evil a guy as Saddam Hussein was and is. We don't believe that uh, Iraq was getting depleted uranium from Niger and so forth and so on. Imagine the significance of those hearings. Imagine if we really understood and learned about how incompetent Bush and his people were with Hurricane Katrina, how unprepared they were, and why were they so unprepared for the war in Iraq so that the only people who seem to be benefiting are Halliburton and these other uh, big contractors who were able to win no big contractors. On and on it goes. So the significance of this election is, A, we stopped the right-wing drift, not drift, but strong right-wing move movement in this country, and, B, we start understanding how we got to where we are, and, number three, we start beginning to address the real needs facing ordinary Americans rather than worrying about millionaires and billionaires. So that's why this election is so terribly important. It really is. Bernie, yesterday on Countdown with Keith Olbermann, Keith had uh, Jonathan Turley on. He's a professor of law at George Washington University Law School and the legal expert that MSNBC and NBC use. And he made an interesting observation. I have a 30-second clip. Do you mind if I play this? No, I'd, I'd like to get your take on this. Is that the, He's talking about the NSA decision yesterday. Is that the court here is rejecting the authority that the White House has used, not just for the NSA surveillance, but a number of other programs. It's also broader in its implications. As you noted, most of us thought the question of the unlawfulness of the program was the easy one. I mean, we, we, despite what Gonzalez says, that the authority is clear, no one else seems to be able to see it. Uh, the real tough question is what we would do about it. If a court of appeals upholds this judge, it means that the president could well have committed a federal crime, not once but 30 times. And so that's the difficult implication.
Now, I've, I've heard people calling for, you know, if the president actually committed a crime that has criminal penalties, uh, you know, throw the bum in jail kind of thing. But isn't isn't impeachment the penalty that the, well, the Constitution Tom, you calls know, for? You know, it, it, Tom, as, as we've said many times on the show, the first thing that has to happen is those questions have got to be asked in Congress. They're not going to be asked so long as the president of the United States has the protection of the Republican leadership in the Republican House. So if the Republicans continue to control the House and the Senate, the questions that were just raised will never be discussed in Congress. Yeah, and so, this is a relatively conservative law professor. This is the issue that has to be, you know, just in a sense what I was saying. So it, it goes beyond NSA phone tapping. It goes to the uh, behavior of the Bush administration in many, many areas. And those questions have never been challenged. Now, if the Democrats gain control over the House, I can assure you John Connors of Michigan will be asking many of those questions. If they gain control over the Senate, my colleague from Vermont, Senator Patrick Leahy, I believe, will be asking many of those questions. And that is why this election is terribly important. If the Republicans continue to retain control, those questions, in my view, will not be asked, will never be asked. several months, we've been following the patchwork of lawsuits challenging wiretapping by the National Security Agency. On Thursday, one of those legal challenges scored a significant victory when a federal judge in Detroit ruled against the Bush administration, deeming the NSA program unconstitutional and ordering it to stop at once. The case was brought by the American Civil Liberties Union on behalf of a group of journalists, lawyers, scholars, and nonprofit organizations who argued that the possibility of having their international calls wiretapped was hampering their work. Many legal scholars were skeptical as to whether the journalists had cause or standing because they had no actual proof that their calls had been tapped. But the judge sided with reporters. Attorney General Alberto Gonzalez has already announced that the Justice Department will appeal. Jonathan Turley is a professor of public interest law at George Washington University and a lead counsel in another federal case, also challenging the NSA program. Jonathan, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much. What does this decision say? Well, the decision takes the White House out to the shed on almost every point. The court found that the operation is just clearly unconstitutional, that the president has been acting unlawfully for years in ordering warrantless domestic surveillance. Now, there have been a number of these suits filed at various courts around the country with respect to the NSA program. This one was particularly interesting to us because among the complainants are journalists who say that just the very idea that an overseas news source could be uh, being eavesdropped on has a chilling effect on the process of journalism. Do you think that argument had any place in the judge's decision, or was this strictly about the 
constitutionality of eavesdropping in general? Well, ironically, I think this was the least likely case to find this program unconstitutional. There were many questions about standing and whether these types of claims really could sustain a challenge against an intelligence operation. But it really did become the sleeper. And and ultimately, this judge found that there was sufficient standing to get to the merits. But the case primarily focused on the operation itself. The court did not view this as a particularly close question. Now, the implications of that are pretty significant, because if the Court of Appeals agrees with this decision, it means that the president didn't just simply act unlawfully. Under the statute, violations of this kind are defined as federal crimes. So if this is upheld, there is a strong argument that the president committed a federal crime, not once, but maybe over 30 times. Now, the attorney general has made clear he's going to appeal this case, assuming for a moment that the judge in Detroit agrees to stay the ruling pending the outcome of that appeal. What happens if, in fact, the decision is upheld on appeal and winds up in this heavily polarized Supreme Court? What do you expect would happen there? Well, first of all, a loss in the Sixth Circuit would be very stinging because this is not viewed as a liberal circuit. It's actually a circuit that has been very deferential to the president. But they will no doubt go to the Supreme Court, and it's a better court for them. They have Sam Alito on the court, and he is renowned for his deference to the executive. I mean, it's virtually blind deference. And so they can count on his vote and Thomas's vote, Chief Justice Roberts' vote. But the problem is they just lost a Guantanamo Bay case. And that case really rejected the legal claims made for the NSA operation. And so a majority on the court has already told this White House, you're going too far. Alberto Gonzalez has been claiming all along that, uh, don't worry, we have sufficient legal justification under Congress's mandate to carry on these programs, but we can't tell you what they are because if we did, we'd have to kill you. As a legal scholar, are you not just dying to find out what those legal justifications are? Well, it, it, it really is par for the course with this administration that we really do have something that will give us the authority, but it's locked in this closet and just trust us, we're the government. The problem for Alberto Gonzalez is that there really is nothing in the closet that is going to be relevant. On this point, I think the judge in Detroit was absolutely right. What she said was, I know what I need to know. That is, I know that you have never been given this authority by Congress. I know that citizens have these constitutional rights that cannot be abridged. And I know that you did not get a warrant for this surveillance. And that's what is the most relevant thing. Now, you may have information that you're pursuing bin Laden or that you've stopped some attack, but that doesn't go into the constitutional analysis. You first have to show that you have authority, not just a reason to act. Okay, Jonathan, as always, thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Jonathan Turley is a professor of public interest law at George Washington University.
But anyway, so there you have it. Uh, great, great ruling today. A ruling for America. Jack Cafferty's all pissed off about it. Uh, once JR pulls that up, we'll share that with you. Uh, well, he's happy about the ruling. He's pissed off about what Bush is doing. We got it already? Let, let's let him roll. Well, uh, just before we we're roll, we're going to roll. But, you know, the headline on CNN is, one, you know, ever since the story broke, it's been an issue of uh, an irritating issue of framing for all of us. Uh, government appeals blow to eavesdropping. Uh, NSA, and then you click on it, NSA eavesdropping program ruled unconstitutional. Warrantless. Warrantless. They're not saying you can't eavesdrop. And the FISA court approved nearly 100% of the warrants, over 99% of the warrants. It's not the eavesdropping program. It's the illegal eavesdropping program. It's the one without a warrant. It's the one that went around the law. Say You don't have to use warrantless, but you got to say some... Some word that indicates that we're not saying you can't spy on terrorists because those headlines tell everybody, oh, my God, the, the courts, the courts, the activist courts are saying that you can't um, uh, that you can't spy on terrorists. And it's even worse than that, actually. First of all, they didn't mention unconstitutional in the headline, according to what you just read. And the, first, the second one, NSA eavesdropping program ruled unconstitutional. That is the headline, but not on the front page. You had to click on the story to get that. Right. And on the front page, it doesn't mention unconstitutional. And look at the way they framed it. Deals a blow to the, the courts, the evil courts, dealt a blow to the eavesdropping program. Like, if it weren't for the courts, we'd, we'd be allowed to do spying on terrorists. But because of the activist courts, they've dealt a blow to our uh, spying program. The only activism here is on the part of the administration, which ignored the legislature and the judiciary to decide how to interpret law and enforce it on their own. I mean, it was it was wholly unconstitutional from start to finish, and anybody who sees it is just... It's just blind. I mean, you want to go to the legislature, have them rewrite the FISA law, figure out a way to get it so the courts will appeal it. That would be even rewriting the law to do it without a warrant would still have to pass an enormous constitutional test, which some courts. But, but they make it so easy for any court to be like, look, you're, there's a law. You just ignored it. And it's unconstitutional. Here, so. Here's how you frame it. OK, you're either going to do it the American way or you're going to do it. You know, uh, another way, the Taliban way, the Al Qaeda way, the non-legal uh, uh, way. Not many people know this. Taliban had to get warrants. <laughs> no, it turns out the Taliban don't need to get warrants. But here in America, we're supposed to get warrants. You can do things, but you need to do them the American way. Of course, these people don't believe in the American way. All right, now uh, let's let Jack Greg Cafferty rip. You know, if you think I'm angry, well, you're CNN's right. Jack Cafferty. Well, if, you know, it seems like we're having this discussion about this judge's ruling sort of in the abstract, as though there's no precedent for what the judge decided. The judge, in effect, upheld the ruling of the FISA court, which says if you want to wiretap phones, you need a warrant to do so. The court was created by Congress in 1978, I think it was, and the law of the land says get a warrant. The actions of the administration have ignored the law of the land in that regard. So it's not a discussion in the abstract. It's not hypothetical. There are laws on the books against what the administration is doing. And it's about time somebody said it out loud. This federal district judge ruled today, President Bush is breaking the law by spying on people in this country without a warrant. The judge said the president is violating the First Amendment to the Constitution, the Fourth Amendment to the Constitution, and the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, FISA, passed by Congress, 1978, specifically to prevent this kind of abuse of power. It was being done before. That's why the FISA court was created in the first place. So what does this mean? 
It means President Bush violated his oath of office, among other things, when he swore to uphold the Constitution of the United States. It means he's been lying to us about the program since it started, when he's been telling us there's nothing illegal about what he's doing. A court has ruled it is illegal. And it means a 75-year-old black female judge in Michigan has finally stepped in and done the job that Congress is supposed to do, namely oversight of the executive branch of government. But the, government, the Congress is controlled by the Republicans, and they are controlled by the President, and they have done nothing in the way of oversight. I hope it means the arrogant inner circle at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue may finally have to start answering to the people who own that address. That would be us about how they conduct our country's affairs. But we want to know what you think. Here's the question. What does a federal judge's ruling that the NSA spying program is illegal mean for President Bush? Email your thoughts to CafferdyFile at CNN.com or go to CNN.com slash CafferdyFile. I love it. So right. we want to know what you want to think. President Bush a jackass. Email us at CafferdyFile at CNN.com. I have two things to say after I heard that. One, every time Andy Rooney watches him, he weeps. <laughs> And second, does Jack Cafferty not understand that if we needed warrants, we would have never foiled the London bombing plot? <laughs> For which we got warrants. And oh. didn't foil. Oh. Other people foiled. Yeah. Um, I mean, God, he's good. I mean, how do you not watch that? How do you watch that clip and not say, God bless Jack Cafferty? No, God bless Jack Cafferty. You know, I mean, look, it's. Well, it, it, the only thing that makes it stand out, because there are, of course, thousands of people who have been saying that from the start. Three of them are right here. But he's on CNN. Now, that's it, look, and that's the whole, whole, whole thing. As you watch him, you might think, like, well, Jenkins, and Ben and Jill, you guys just told me the same thing, pretty and, and, much. And not, and you've been but, saying it for the last but year. I mean, but let's, I mean, let's, and, and everyone at the American Civil Liberties Union and a zillion scholars. No, and no constant, we were the only ones. Yeah, no, so, I mean, I don't want to, but. No, yeah. no, no. All the reasonable people on earth have been saying this for the last year, right? So why are you bothering to show me Jack Cafferty who's saying it again? Because that's the sorry, sorry state of our uh, of television these days. That finally, when everybody else agrees, the courts agree, the scholars agree, the lawyers agree, everybody who's ever read uh, the simplest piece of law agrees, we can get one person on television to say it. Well, I know she knows it's not right. of this treaty that was signed on this day in 1795 by George Washington, the J, the so-called J Treaty. The significance of it is that in a very real way, it set up the War of 1812. Now, what does the War of 1812 have to do with yesterday's ruling by District Judge Anna Diggs-Taylor? Here's the, here, here's the connection. 
Bush is running around now, or the Bush administration, the Republicans. In fact, I should go beyond that. These fascists. I mean, you've got this stuff coming out of the Heritage Foundation. You've got this stuff coming out of right-wingers, left and right. They're running around saying, oh, no, we have to set aside the Constitution. Because we're at war with terrorists, don't you know? Because Osama bin Laden, a guy that uh, we've decided uh, isn't really all that important, right? So I, I don't know where he is. Nor do, you know, I just don't spend that much time on him. Can really be honest with you? Again, I don't know where he is. I, uh, <laughs> I, 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 I repeat what I said. I truly am not that concerned about him. Yeah. But that guy, because he, he hijacked some planes and flew them into our, the World Trade Centers and the Pentagon. Therefore, we need to give up the Constitution. Well, I would respectfully say, or seriously say, that in saying that, the Bush administration and the Republicans in Congress who are enabling them are spitting on the graves of Jefferson and Madison, who opposed the Jay Treaty, of John Jay, who negotiated it in good faith, of George Washington, who believed that it might, it might get something through. Because in the War of 1812, which the Jay Treaty, in, in some historians would say, set up, because basically by, by appeasing England, we, you know, we, didn't, we didn't resolve the, the issues bottom line. We ended up fighting a war with England. That in the War of 1812, the British actually took Washington, D.C. They actually burned down the White House. They didn't burn it down. They burned it. James Madison, the sitting president of the United States, had to flee the White House. Dolly was running around, his wife, running around gathering up paintings And they fled the White House because the British troops were advancing, and the British seized the White House and set it on fire. And James Madison did not see fit to suspend the Constitution. Now, here you had America actually not just at war, not just a few evildoers on our land, you had a foreign country invade us and seize the friggin' White House. And, and did James Madison, who was the president at the time, think that we should set aside the Fourth Amendment? No. In fact, if anything, he felt it was more important to defend the Fourth Amendment and the First Amendment and all the rest of those, uh, the, uh, the rest of the Constitution, the separation of powers. So I, I, I'll, I say, you know, the, the, these guys are spitting on the graves of the founders of this country. It is a tragedy. It is an absolute tragedy. It is an absolute crime. And when Judge Anna Diggs-Taylor says there are no hereditary kings in America and no powers not created by the Constitution, she is speaking, she is channeling the founders of this country. Thanks for listening, everybody. Last week, I posed the question first to myself and then subsequently to you about why do we live? What do we live for? And I got plenty of responses. Uh, I'm sorry to 
all of you, I wasn't able to uh, really make uh, many personalized responses to those. Um, and I'm going to read some of what I got, but I, I couldn't couldn't get to all of it. So um, this is what some of you had to say just to get us started. And let's see if you, while you're listening, can start to see the theme that I saw when I read them. It's from the first person. Good food, good sleep, good sex, good laughs, good friends are my reason for living. I try to experience something new whenever I can. I live in interesting times and feel lucky to be doing so. Now that is something I totally agree with. I, I thought of that a couple of years ago. Um, you know, I, I think I even had at least one conversation uh, that I recall with my dad before the 2004 election saying, you know, boy, we live in interesting times. And won't it be interesting if Bush happens to win again? You know, it would be terrible. But damn, that's going to be an interesting four years to see what happens. And uh, unfortunately, that came about. But here we are. Interesting times. And and I actually, when I thought of that, uh, it made me think, you know, I bet every generation thinks that they live in interesting times. You know, you go back... 20 years and, well, I forget, you go back 40 years and, you know, Vietnam War, like, boy, those are interesting times. You go back, you know, 20 years past that, World War II, 20 years past that, Industrial Revolution. It's just every generation has something big, you know. Well, let's let's just go back 20 years. I I forgot there was a there was a Cold War in there, so everyone thought we were going to die. I mean, that's kind of interesting if you want to look at it that way. Um, and so it, it made me realize, like, I think that I live in interesting times, and I didn't live really through any of those other times. Like, I don't have a conscious memory of even the fall of the Berlin Wall. You know, like, that's, that's how out of the loop I am. Um, and... You know, I think I live in interesting times, but so does everybody else throughout time. And that led me to the conclusion that life is interesting. And that's as simple as that is. It's That seems really profound to me. Anyways, he went on, by the way, you're far better looking than I imagined, which I instantly translated into, you have a terrible voice. So thank you for that. Uh... Another person said, the second thing that I live for is a fundamental belief that things can get better and that I need to help make them so. To sum it all up, I guess I'd have to say that I live to prove and celebrate the fact that I have the courage to live life to the fullest extent that I can. I think that speaks for itself. A third person says, it's also something I find in common to all liberals. Aside from being annoying and complaining a lot, we also love a lot and laugh a lot. Because we recognize what is common to all of us here on Earth, thus, what's worth living for, and what we should work towards eliminating from the human experience. So I'd say to those who don't like us, pardon liberals for being negative and annoying, for abandoning tradition and pushing for change, we're just trying to make life worth living by valuing love, 
laughter, and joy, as opposed to God, money, power, and tradition. And, you know, so I, I broke the theme a little bit. It was very positive until he had to take that jab at the other side. But you get the point anyways. And every email I got was, I mean, nobody said the same thing, but everybody said the exact same thing. It, you know, everyone just wants to be happy. It's, I mean, who's having an epiphany right now? Nobody. Everybody knew that. It's obvious. But the amount of, you know, positivity out there, and when you really break it down to what people want, that's what it is. And you know, I, I don't know, is it, is it really truly that some people get their happiness from other things than we do from the things that was, were talked about there, you know, the fundamentals of, you know, loving and laughing and, you know, doing the things that we feel make the world a better place. I mean, I get joy from doing the things in my regular life that I have slightly altered in one way or another uh, as I've, you know, learned whatever I've learned about how to be a better citizen, I've just made it part of my routine to do whatever, you know, go to buyblue.org and find out which uh, supermarket donates more to Democrats than Republicans and then go and shop there. You know, if you do that and you just make it part of your routine, things along those lines. And there's a hundred of them. I mean, or, you know, there are hundreds of them that you can do. There are many that I do do. And just when I think about doing that stuff, it just makes me happy because I feel like I'm being a good person. But for those out there who spend so much of their time focusing on those they disagree with or, you know, despise or hate or whatever for, you know, religious or racial or whatever kind of reasons there are out there for that sort of thing. I mean, is it, is, is it that they get joy out of that or is it that they don't understand where joy really comes from? I, I, just, I have a hard time understanding, you know, the other side on this particular topic. You know, I, when I was in high school, uh, my friends and I were walking through the hallway and, um, just, you know, very kind of out of nowhere. It, it, it meant nothing. It was just one of those things you say, you know, he didn't mean it at all. But a friend of mine said, oh, there's blank. I have no idea who this specific person was. He said, oh, there's that guy. Man, I hate that guy. And I said, and I didn't think it to be profound at all at the time. But I said, yeah, I, I don't hate him. I just, I, I don't care about him enough to hate him. And, um, you know, that, that was the whole conversation until about a year later, that friend and I were talking and he replayed that you know, my own quote back to me. And I said, 
damn, that's a good quote. Who said that? And he said, you did. And I said, oh, boy, that was smart. And it just, it makes me wonder, you know, because that, that's honestly how I feel. And I think that's how most people feel. It's, uh, you know, from everyone I've talked to, you know, if we, let's just take, uh, you know, the, um, the gay lifestyle that's, that's threatening our um, civilization right now. If we just take that as an example, every heterosexual I've ever talked to who's on my side of, side of the fence on this issue basically says, I don't care. You know, it, being pro-gay really just means that you don't care. Being anti-gay means you care and you're opposed. And it's just, it's so much easier to be on this side. Just don't worry about it, you know? I don't know. I don't know. People just spend too much time caring about those they dislike or don't agree with or whatever, for whatever reason. Um, anyway, I got, I got a little bit sidetracked. But anyways, my reason for living, uh, it, it was definitely displayed in, in those quotes I gave, but um, other people talked about it as well. And it's just that... Life is interesting and fun, and uh, there there was one other person who uh, that I I meant to quote and and didn't I didn't excerpt it, so I don't know where it is, but he just said, you know, I'm always excited to see what adventure is coming around the corner, and when I look back on my life, all the good parts I remember being good, and all of the bad parts. I remember kind of being good in that I'm glad I lived through it. I'm glad that everything in my life that has happened, I'm kind of glad that it's happened because I essentially like who I am now and all of those experiences have made me who I am. So so I'm excited what, you know, to see what's coming next. And, um, I don't know. It's just, I find life to be interesting, you know, history, uh, present and, and future. So why give up midstream to, you know, take it all in while you're here. It's, it's, it's an amazing opportunity we have, I think. So this is a pretty big talk topic. We'll probably, get back to it again, um, I have a plan already to get back to this topic that is so large, so in-depth, so mind-bogglingly fantastic to me uh, that it probably won't happen for months and months and months. So what are you going to do? You got to stick around, I guess. Um, I hope it's, it's not, it's not an idea. It's not a, you know, it's not a script I have to write to then relate to you. This is a project that I've got to work on. And, uh, seeing as I have no extra time to work on any extra projects, that means you're probably just all out of luck, but, um, 
I think, reminding ourselves about the the positives of life and the wonders of life is essential. And uh, you know why why focus on the negatives of others? I mean, just because your religion tells you that other people aren't living correctly. I mean, Jesus. I don't, uh, I don't understand how those people can be happy. And, but here's the thing. They're not. I know they're not. That's why they all become criminals or, you know, closeted homosexuals themselves. And, and they live horrible, tortured lives, uh, mostly inside their own heads and uh and i mean if you think of it that way it really makes you sympathetic to them except for that they uh put all of that negative energy and and turn it outwards and and make the world worse for the rest of us um but it so i guess depending on how you look at it you can either feel sorry for them or feel satisfied that you know that they're uh, truly unhappy. Take that for what it's worth, I guess. Have a good one, everybody. Some say it's better, but I say it ain't. I'd rather laugh with the sinners and cry with the saints. The sinners are much more fun. You know that only the good die young. Boy, am I terrible at promotion. Go to bestoftheleftpodcast.com where there is new information posted about my uh, speaking gig. Imagine my air quotes there. That's uh, coming up September 10th in the Central Valley location, directions, everything is now posted on the website. And a huge development over at newmediarevolution.org. There is now a network-wide blog, um, god, I'm an idiot, there's also a blog, but what I'm talking about is the forum, um, go to newmediarevolution.org and click on the link to the forum, or, no, just do that, I don't want to confuse you, newmediarevolution.org, and you can meet every podcaster and a, you know, a range of listeners from all of the shows, uh, we're very excited about it. Uh, go check that out. I'll talk to you guys later.